Stories, fables, ghostly tales. Welcome, you lovelies, to your old-time Radio Monday. Oh yeah, and I hope your weekend was wonderful. I spent my time out and about, walking and eating for a couple of hours over the weekend to celebrate a friend's birthday. Was absolutely wonderful. We also went to the markets and found delicious fresh tea. Strawberry jam tea, mango sliced tea, and this delicious blackberry tea. Yum. Such an amazing range. The day was wonderful, and I wish you all the same for this week. That it's full of fun. Your two remastered episodes today are... The Gas Receipt, a robbery that involves the eyes of an officer being shot out, and the seed of their terrible murder, living telltale signs of our criminal's crime. And Shards of Glass, where a manhunt sees Larry Mason, leaving a trail of chaos behind him as the cops try to pin him down. But can they pin the murder of Charles on him? Is he responsible? Well, we'll find out. Before we start, I must thank the brilliant people that keep this show's blood pumping, my old nighty titans. Matthew J. Bauer, the pit stopper. Everyone needs a getaway driver, but no one thinks of the car, am I right? The pit stopper is known for providing perfect cars for the job, whether it's a robbery, bang up, hustle or bank tussle, the pit stopper has just the car for you, and just when you need it. Over 20 years of greasy fine-tuning and this guy can tell you which car you need just by the look on your face when you walk through the door. Spend a dime on this fella and you'll make it all back and more. Just make sure you never deliver a car with two coins on the dashboard. You'll regret it. Maya, aka Mega Moxie. She sounds shady but she's far from it. Helping the police find crooks and hook them before they get their head into the dirt end of the crime. Only some people know her name and who she is, but she has the telltale signal that it's her handiwork who got them locked up. Two coins sit wherever the criminal goes, waiting, watching, letting them know that she's two steps ahead of them. She knows the hangouts, she knows the risks, and has a network that gives Mega Moxie the guts and know-how to put you away. Solstra Slammer, that slam with two M's, because you'll be saying Mamma Mia when she rough and tumbles you. An interrogator for the police, having spent 20 years on the streets stopping thugs in their tracks. She's now behind closed doors, putting those thugs in cages. Solstra likes two things in this world, looking up fools and drawing out the evidence from those that think they're smarter and faster than the law. They call her Slammer not because she's rough. But because when you're in her custody, good chances are you're going to hear the slam of that lockup cell. And it might be the last thing you hear. Thank you all for being amazing. Every single episode your support improves the podcast. Currently, I'm trying to select carefully which filters to use and purchase, and I'm also considering upping my game further with more robust music. Because, you see, I used to struggle in my purchases and decisions about how to improve the show. But thanks to your helpmates, I'm going to go ahead and buy even more awesome music and sound effects to set each episode ablaze. So thank you to all three of you for this level of support. Just epic. And now for my brilliant white tea warlords. I own cows, the Hoofstigator. 
I Own Cows was promoted as investigator after solving the notorious three cow murder case. Each man was gored by a cow three different times and in three different ways. No one could figure it out until I Own Cows stepped in, rolled up his sleeves and dove head first into the gory case. Whilst others were squeamish of getting their hands dirty, this tough customer was rummaging around the corpses of those cows and getting to the bottom of it. Turns out, each one of the cows came from the same location. How did he know this? The flora on the bottom of the hooves pinned them all on Farmer Tarlin, who had a particular type of grass growing in his fields, who trained the cows to attack men with a certain look. Truly, I own cows, is second to none. Lee Bauer, aka Iron Man, professional bouncer for the mob but secretly an agent of the government. When they say, put that guy away, Lee, he does, swiftly. One cold clock in the jaw, and they're out. He's even knocked out a horse that way. All with the aim to impress the mob, of course. <laughs> but what he does once they're out is take them straight to Solstra Slammer, leaves two coins as payment and a nod to the shadows, casually driving away in that perfect car, where he can only assume Mega Moxie is watching. Lee has a tight network of his own, you see. Called Iron Man for his strength by those that fear him, but for loyalty for those who know him. Thank you both for being brilliant and supporting this podcast. I'm currently working on your rewards, mates, so stay tuned. It's gonna be great. And my beauties, that are my Earl Grain forces. Chad Warren, Just Heather, Lorraine Crisanto, Paige Marcini, Peter Raffelli, Michelangelo Yacone, Robert Fisher and Tasha Moncrief. Mates, thank you so much for your support. It means the world to me, and I'm lucky to have all of you. Now turn the lights off and get ready for some classic Black Museum by Awesome Wells. <laughs>
the Black Museum, Scotland Yard's museum, a museum of murder. Here, here lies death, arranged in glass cases, lined along the shelves on the tables, larger objects standing on the floor. Well, there's an old-fashioned trunk. Nothing in this trunk but small clothes. Clothes led to a furnace. The things in the furnace led a man to the gallows. There's a teacup with saucer. Charming, graceful, real bone china. But the contents were deadly. Ah, here we are. Here's the receipt I told you about. Settled, it says. Paid in full. Ten gallons of gas. From the evidence, Police Constable Matthews had anything but murder on his mind that very early morning, an hour before dawn, as he patrolled the quiet country road near his home in Essex. Summer must be almost over. Cold this time of morning. Not even false dawn yet. Nights are getting longer. Pleasant enough this tour during summer. Lonely a bit, I suppose. Gives a man time for thinking. What do I think about Ellen and the breakfast she'll have for me? <laughs> Egg, bit of bacon, cup of tea, then some sleep. Ridiculous. Grown man sleeping in broad daylight when you come to think of it. Well, company coming. Seems to be travelling at quite a rate. Too fast, even this time of night. Drop that car! Pull over here! I know that car. Never saw him drive like that before. Well, I must say, so you're going rather fast. Oh, what's the idea, Constable? I'm in a hurry. Yes, so it seems. Let me see your license. I know how to drive. Where do you come from? Longridge Garage. It's a long way from here. Called out on an emergency. I said I'm in a hurry to get back now. And this car is yours? Oh, it's mine. Oh, another of you. In the back seat. Can't you keep that flashlight out of my eyes? What's the number of this car? See for yourself. It's on the plates. I know the number. Do you? What is this, an investigation? If you want it that way... He's dead, all right. I'm making sure. No dead man keeps my face in his eyes. Huh. Now he's got no eyes. Hurry! We gotta get out of here. Where he'd fallen, bloody face turned skyward. Policeman Constable Matthews didn't see the dawn. Later that morning, another man rushed along that Essex road, mail sack on shoulder, busy with his own thoughts. Until... Good. It's Matthews. Or what's left of him? Oh, what a rotten way to die. Yeah, I'll have to get help. Help was very soon in coming. First the local police, 
Then the wires to London hummed with the word. Can you leave the body where it is? I expect so, Inspector. He won't worry about it, poor fellow. Very well. I'll be down from the yard as soon as I can get a car. Inspector Manson and Sergeant Bright left Scotland Yard, careening out of the gates on two wheels and roared out of London and into Essex. They set a record reaching the scene of the crime. The two policemen, quiet in their plain clothes, asked the local constable to move the crowd of curious well back from the body. Then the team from the yard went to work. A rotten killing, Inspector. Bad as I've seen. Four bullets where one would have been enough. It looks like a cop-hater, Inspector. Turn cop-killer. Lift the head a moment. Right, sir. Huh. Here they are. Two slugs. Forty-five. Went right through it. Oh, we never had a chance. The angle of the cheek wound, sir. From below and to the side. Back seat of the car he stopped. Tire marks, Inspector? Hmm? Right here. In the shoulder of the road. And deep enough for casts. Still holding his pencil. It's what we're all afraid of on traffic duty. What's your number and the shots? That's all. I still don't get the eyes, Inspector. Old story. Legend. When a criminal shoots a policeman, the criminal's image is supposed to be imprinted on the poor fellow's retinas. Just superstition. Let's go, Sergeant. Just Just superstition. Perhaps a mark, a clue, pointing to the habitual criminal. The police routine began. The tire marks were taken up in plaster casts. The bullets were turned over to ballistics. The search, the almost blind search, began. In the course of their duty, Inspector Manson and Sergeant Wright dropped in on the superintendent of the local police. See, the car, sir, for my rounds. I can't afford to wait until the insurance company is satisfied, nor for my patients. I know you're busy, what with the murder and all that, but surely you can spare some time. What? <coughs> Oh, Inspector Manson, come in. Sorry to intrude, sir, but the sergeant and I are about ready to go back to London. I see. Now, this is Dr. Lewis, our resident practitioner. Doctor, Inspector Manson, and Sergeant Wright, Scotland Yard. How do you do, sir? Scotland Yard? About the murder of that poor policeman? That's right, Doctor. The doctor's car's missing. I've been explaining to him how he'd been tied up on the killing. Which, of course, I understand. But I need my car, gentlemen. I almost missed a berth last night. Came out of my house, expected to hop into my car... No car. About what time was that, sir? About 3 a.m. First time I think it's like that's ever happened round here. I see. Rather interesting coincidence. Well, how's that, Inspector? One of the familiar patterns in our work is to have a policeman attacked when he stops a stolen car. Lord Harry. May I, Superintendent? Of course. Will you describe the car, Doctor? Within minutes, Sergeant Wright was on the telephone. All station allowed. Dark blue Morris sedan. Number TW8529, registered in the name of Dr. Lewis. Within six hours, he'd been abandoned in London suburb. Dr. Lewis was taken for the automobile ride of his life, siren screaming, tires squealing. No time to waste. This your car, Doctor? It certainly is. Give it a going over, Sergeant. Yes, sir. Let's have a look inside, Doctor. Hmm. Flashes on the outside of the door. Could be blood. Yes, it might very well be. Oh. You own a pistol, Doctor? Good heavens, no. What? Cartridge case on the floor. Here. See it? Forty-five caliber. Notice anything missing? Yes, my instrument bag. I left it on the back seat, as I usually do. 
Some quite valuable surgical equipment and all that. Hard to come by these days. I understand. Yes, sir? Uh, earth and dried grass, sir. Curbside wheels, front and back. Mudguard damaged on that side as well. And the tyres, sir, I'd not want to state positively until we check the casts, but they look the same as the marks on the road. Ah, excellent, Sergeant. Here's something may help. Uh, Inspector, Sergeant. Yes, Doctor. The speedometer. I keep a trip record every 24 hours. Just a habit. When I left the car last night, the speedometer read 40.9 miles. It's 84.3 now. And the car has come 43.4 miles. That may be quite a help to us, Doctor. Perhaps more than you realize. The first point which came to mind as the inspector and the sergeant drove back to Scotland Yard. 43 miles. Took a lot of back roads. Whoever it was must be known. No fingerprints in the car either. Then next, as the car turned into the yard... He must know Essex rather well, an angle worth working on. A little while later, with a pile of dossiers on his desk, the inspector said, hmm. What do you think of this one, Sergeant? Thomas Green, also known as Greeny Thomas and Ted Grenville. Convicted 1920, possession of firearms. Mm -hmm. Convicted fraud and forgery. Convicted car theft. Oh. So... Known as Operator Garage in Eastwood, Essex. Alters stolen car. No, Essex, doesn't he? He's a possibility, sir. Habitual. Fits the rest of the characteristics. Shall we have Mr. Green in, Sergeant? Yes, sir. Operator, hue and cry message to all stations. Photo for posting will follow shortly. Wanted for questioning Tom Green, also known as Green... So Tom far, so good. Maybe they were on the right track. Maybe not. The alarm went out. Out to every station house and crossroads in England, every policeman from the south coast to the border of Scotland was alerted for Mr. Thomas Green, also known as Greeny Thomas, and so forth. Result? Nothing. No, not a sign. Not a trace. <laughs> Here's something, Sergeant. Police in Lancashire picked up a fellow answering Green's description. He confessed to a burglary to prove he wasn't in Essex the night Matthews was shot. I imagine they know we don't like cop killers. No, they don't like cop killers. But they still had no trace of the suspect. None at all. For seven long weeks. This, you know. this man forced me to the wall. Is that correct, sir? You're green. There's an order out for you. Keep that driver, or you'll get it too. Dirty rotten. Give the number. Give the number of that car. I can't see. I, I got it, lad. GR5607. Well, today, as I told you, this receipt lies in its proper place, an honored place, in the Black Museum. Another policeman shot, luckily not fatally. 
Another car number obtained. Immediate check, yes. Stolen car. A Vauxhall this time. Several times thereafter, in the course of ten days, that number appeared. Stopping the artillery. Armed robbery. Cinema cashier. Lone thief seen leaving area in car number GR5607. That's been all right. He's broken cover with a vengeance. Here it is again, Sergeant. Same number. This time he held up a railway station. He's made another stop, sir. This time a bank messenger. Same car, same number, GR5607. Inspector Manson here. Sergeant Wright, sir. Report from Sheffield. They've got the box all Green was using. He sold it to a used car dealer. Man suspected of being a fence. Meet me at the gate, Sergeant. You're going to Sheffield. Constable Matthews was long gone, you know. Several weeks, in fact. But the wheels of vengeance for his unnecessary death ground on in Sheffield. Inspector Manson talked briefly into the point. Now get this straight. The man who sold you this car is wanted on suspicion of murder. Hold out on us and you'll be an accessory after the fact. We'll see to that. That was I to know, Inspector. He had owner's papers. They looked all right. I paid him in good faith, I did. Save it. You received stolen goods. Now then, what do you know about this man? Nothing, sir. Nothing. Tell him, Sergeant. You know plenty. We happen to have checked. You were associated with him in a garage business in Essex. Now talk. I'm honest. I didn't know nothing. He told me he got the Vauxhall through a garage he's interested in, in, in Battersea. You can't fit it. Back to London. The chase seemed getting warmer. Outside the garage in Battersea, Inspector Manson and Sergeant Wright sat in their park car. Uh, waited. Car coming this way, sir. The light's in the rear view mirror. I see it, Sergeant. Patience, Sergeant. He's only turning you. I caught his face in the light, sir. It's green, all right. Chauffeur's outfit. Let's go. Take care. He's left the car on the ramp, sir. Yes. Probably gone to change his clothes. Check the car, Sergeant. Side pocket of the door. Right, sir. A Webley 45, Inspector. <laughs> oh, 45. Let's get him. Listen a moment. He's in there. Take care of the doors. Yes, sir. What's the meaning of this? What do you want? You green. Get your copper. If I'm not going to... Oh, thanks, sir. He almost had me. Put the cuffs on him. We'll take the Webley and get him back to the yard. Hello. What's this on the workbench? Medical case, sir. Initials on it, RL. For Robert Lewis, Inspector? I wouldn't be surprised. Let's go, Sergeant, and you needn't be too gentle with him. At long last, Tom Green, alias Greeny Thomas, was in custody. And an un-too-pleasant customer, this fellow. Hey, when do I get something to eat, copper? We'll get to that. You're in for questioning on a possible murder charge. I must warn you, anything you may say... Where were you on the night of October 26th last? I was in London with my girl. What's more, she'll swear to it. Where did you get the revolver we found in the pocket of the car? I bought it from a sailor. <laughs> Never got his name or number. 
We found another Wembley in the doctor's case, Green. Where did you get that? I talk him. The first one's been certified as the gun that killed Constable Matthews. That's the gun you said you bought from the sailor in September. What? Oh, then I got it mixed up. Oh. Yeah, I must have bought the gun in the case from the sailor, and then when you say kill the copper, I picked up in November. So what? You got plenty of cops, haven't you, Inspector? <laughs> Are we coming on the check of Green's friends, Sergeant? They're all accounted for and all with alibis, except this fellow Davis. Yes, it's funny about him. Yeah? Why? Well, he spent most of his life in stir. But the last time he got out, he upped and married. In Sheffield. In Sheffield? And Green took that stolen Vauxhall to Sheffield. Let's bring Mr. Davis in, Sergeant. I'm rather interested in him. Once again, the two police officers drove their car in the direction of Sheffield. Along the road, they stopped at a service station. Ten gallons of gasoline, handle of the oil and water. They pay the attendant and ask for a receipt. Vouchers will have to be signed in the usual police routine. Your receipt, Inspector. Packs full, oil and water five. Thank you. Hmm. Quite a receipt you hand out. <laughs> My partner's idea. He likes it. Look at this, Sergeant. Stamped with a gallows, complete with corpse, and marked settled. Rather appropriate, eh? It might have been more appropriate if they'd had more success in Sheffield. Too late, Inspector. Our bird flown? Yes, sir. Left town the day before yesterday. The day we picked up Green. I see. Well, we'll find him. I'm beginning to feel more like a tracer of missing persons than an officer on a murder case. The familiar police machinery went back into action. The underworld was watched. The hue and cry message went to all stations. Within a few days this time, word came through. Davis has been seen with his wife in Liverpool, sir. All right, Sergeant, we'll travel. found the hideout well watched. Davis wasn't there. His wife was at home. The place was a down-at-the-heels lodging house, disreputable, filthy. Inspector Manson made a decision. We'll wait for him outside, Sergeant. I found that most men will put up a much harder struggle when their women are present. So they waited. Waited in the dark, shabby street. Far off, they could hear the foghorns of the ships in Liverpool's busy roadstead. Eerie noise they make, isn't it? I don't mind it. Seems, uh, well, friendly. Uh, it depends, sir. Hey, someone just passed the second street lamp down that way, sir. Don't show yourself. Wait until he passes under the next one. We can be sure, then. That's our man. When he's closer to the sergeant. Right, sir. All right, Davis, please come quietly. Would you stay away from me? I said come quietly, Davis. Drop a white. Look me and don't take me. Never point a gun at a police officer, Davis. He'll come quietly now, Inspector. 
They were quite a pair, defiant, snarling Tom Green, moaning, whining Davis. The inspector knew he had Green on the evidence, but the two bullets that had been fired from the back seat of the car were unexplained, except by the presence of a second man. Was Davis the man? How to prove it? You haven't satisfied us, Davis. You've told us Green asked you to manage his garage. That's right. I don't know nothing about October the 26th. We think you do. Were you with Green that night? I was with my wife. And Green says he was with his girl. Did you shut up the garage? No. Yes, I did. No business that night, anyway. Yes, sir? Uh, no, for you, sir. Thank you. I see. Thank you. All right, Davis, Green's talked. He's, there's nothing to talk about. He says you pulled the trigger. He says he was already in gear. And Ridgeway was going to let you go when you fired from the back seat. The cop had his foot on the running board. I never did a thing. Ah, nice timing, Sergeant. I think you'd better talk, Davis. You're for it in any case. Speak up, man. What? Yeah. Sure, I was with Green that night. We picked a car to swipe down there in that Essex village. A doctor's car. We had to work fast. A dog started barking. We pushed the thing from in front of the house and got in. Greenie was driving. We'd have been fine, but that dumb cop had to stop us. He knew the car. Thought it was the doctor. But I didn't kill nobody. It was Greenie. All the way it was Greenie. I never killed nobody. Nobody. I tell you, I didn't kill nobody. 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 All finished, Davis? <laughs> Would you like to see the note Sergeant Wright handed me? <laughs> Oh, I don't want to look. A receipt, Davis, for ten gallons of petrol stamped with a gallows and marked settled. And today, as I told you, that receipt can be found in a place of special honor in the Black Museum. There was no doubt, of course. From the angle of the wounds in Constable Matthew's face, it was clear that at least two bullets had been fired from the back seat of the stolen car. Davis's counsel tried to pin the blame on Green. Green's counsel tried to place it all on Davis. The jury found both men guilty. Both were sentenced to hang. Green tried to cheat the gallows, hiding a razor blade in his cell and cutting his wrist one night. The guards discovered this in time. The trap fell twice one morning. So the case of Constable Matthews was marked settled. And now, until next time, till we meet again in the same place, and I tell you another story of the Black Museum, I remain as always obediently yours. The Black Museum. Here in the grim stone structure on the Thames which houses Scotland Yard is a warehouse of homicide where everyday objects, a paperweight, a woolen muffler, an old-fashioned hatpin, a drinking glass, all are touched by murder. Here's a bit of frosted glass familiar object you've seen such glass before in the upper panels of the doors of 
older houses, and perhaps the one in which you live. Let's in more light, the owner used to say. One man climbing to his old-fashioned apartment said to his son, Hello, what's this? Glass on the landing? On the door, Dad. It looks like the frosted panel fell out. Yes, and pretty jaggedly. Be careful, son. Those shards are sharp. Well, today, the glass shards can be seen in the Black Museum. From the annals of the Criminal Investigation Department of the London Police... We bring you the dramatic stories of the crimes recorded by the objects in Scotland Yard's Gallery of Death, the Black Museum. And here we are, the Black Museum. Scotland Yard's Museum of Murder. Yes, here lies death. Here's a pacifier. It's nippled end, ivory ring. This in the Black Museum? Yes. Because it seems there was a will. And where there's a will, there's a way. Even to infanticide. Here's a pair of andirons. Brass, graceful in pattern, clean in execution. Execution. Observe the shining brass of this one, the ugly blotch on the other. A woman is pushed violently. Her head strikes with malice aforethought. This was murder. Nice. Here we are, the glass shards. They're sharp, pointed. Dangerous to life and limb, even in themselves. Here they are, glistening, gleaming in their whitely frosted danger. Once they were part of a whole. A glass panel, as I told you, of an apartment door. But we'll come to that. Let's begin this tale with the ringing of a doorbell. Maybe no one is home. Well, we'll try again. Sorry to have kept you waiting. Oh, oh, uh, sorry to have disturbed you, ma'am. Oh, I've been sent looking for a chauffeur. Chap name is Simmons. There's no one here by that name. And I can tell you, sir, there's no one by that name being in this neighbourhood. Well, not in my memory, and I've lived here about now and twenty years. Oh, well, thank you, ma'am. Get out where he works, the beacon, it's called. Well, they'll have to find another errand boy if they can't give me better steers than this. Well, good day, ma'am. Good day. a bit strange. There's no beacon garage in this neighborhood. Of course, this was not a neighborhood for garages and items of that sort. This was strictly residential, mostly semi-detached houses with a bit of garden and an occasional block of apartments or flats, as they're still called in London. Into one of those apartment houses came Charles Fly and his son, Charles Jr., home after their respective day's work at business and college. When will they put lights in these stairs, Dad? Not for someone breaks a leg in the dark. I just hope it isn't your mother. So do I. I don't, well, watch the landing. Dad turns just ahead. I know. Hello, watch this. Glass on the landing? Uh, from the door, Dad. Looks like the frosted panel fell out. Yes, and pretty jaggedly. Be careful, son. Those shards are sharp. I said, do, do you suppose Mother let the door slam so hard the glass broke? Well, I'll ask her when we get inside. Your key handy. Um... 
Right, right here, Dad. Thanks. Sonny, I've never known your mother to use the chain on the door in her life. Oh, with the glass broken like that? What good's the chain? I can reach in and flip off the chain from here through the broken glass. Dad, there's someone in there. Oh, your mother, probably. No, it's not. It's a man. A little fellow. Julia, yes? get on down to Riverdale Road. There's a police box there. Call him, quickly. Well, what, what about you, Dad? Go on now. I'll stay here and watch him. Hurry. Uh, yes. All right. If you say so. Chains off now? Why not? He's only a little fellow. Here now. What are you putting in my suitcase? You shouldn't have come in, Governor. It won't do you a bit of good. I'm leaving with your suitcase and what I packed in it. Drop it back. I can handle you. So foolhardy. Mr. Fly should have stayed outside. He might have stayed alive. As it was when the police did arrive with Charles Fry Jr., Senior was very dead. The call to Scotland Yard was automatic after that. Inspector Howard proceeded with the preliminary questioning as his technical experts combed the apartment. I know you had quite a shock, my boy, but we need your help, and right now. I'll try my best, Inspector. We've checked the apartment. The intruder, whoever he was, had packed a suitcase and was about ready to leave. It's Dad's own. It was his suitcase. All right. Now, is there anything else you know of that's missing? Um, Mother said something before she collapsed about about her bracelet. I, I looked. It's missing. Can you describe it in detail? On items like that, we publish it in the Yard's Daily Gazette. It's circularized to every station, jeweler, and pawn shop in England. Well, it, it was gold, about an inch wide, engraved with a kind of floral design, and there were 25 diamonds, small ones, in the pattern. Dad gave it to Mother on their 25th anniversary. I see. Very good. Now, you've been an excellent help, and you're certain he was a short man. Well, I, I, I saw him through the broken pane. He, He's just about five feet tall. Quite a little fellow. I guess that's why Dad went in after him. Dad didn't know he had a gun. Housebreakers try to stay away from guns in England. The penalties are too severe. Yes, Sergeant? No M.O., sir. Just the broken pane of glass. Thank you. Anything beyond that first shell? Not a thing. One shot was fired, that's all. No... M.O., sir. Means of operation. Anything that's recognizable. Most of these people have a kind of trademark. Completely subconscious, but it helps us to find them. Too bad there's nothing, then. We'll do our best. All right, Sergeant. I want the neighborhood canvassed. Did anyone notice a small man sounding the drum? Did anyone see a small man leaving the premises? And check every carnival, fair, and circus for a small fellow who's a sharpshooter. One cartridge, one shot, and bullseye. Got that, Sergeant? Aye, sir. We can make a start anyway. Here's hoping... Police routine. Sounding the drum. It's a new term. What does it mean? Listen to the sergeant as he canvasses the neighborhood. Tell me, ma'am, in the past day or so, has anyone rung your bell and asked for someone who doesn't live here and left in a hurry? Do you follow the term now? It's what Americans would call casing the joint. Find out if anyone's home by ringing the bell. If there is, make an excuse and get away fast. If there isn't, find a way to break in and steal whatever may be lying about within easy reach. It's simple, effective, very professional. 
but the police are professionals too. Excuse me, sir. I'm from the CID. Sergeant Gordon, uh, my credentials. Oh, what's up? I'm making inquiries to see if anyone's called at your house in the past few days. What? Oh, no, no. We've all been away the past two weeks. We only got back today. Oh, well, thank you then. Uh, sorry to trouble you. Yes? Forgive me for troubling you, ma'am. I'm Sergeant Gordon, CID. My credentials. What, what, what's happened? We aren't in any trouble, are we? No, no. Calm yourself, ma'am. No trouble for you, at any rate. It's just that I wanted to ask you a question or two. Oh, yes. Uh, could you tell me if anyone has called at your house during the past few days and asked for someone who doesn't live here and that if they were in? <laughs> what a silly question. <laughs> no, ma'am. It's a very serious question. So will you put your mind to it? Well, no. I'm absolutely sure. Nobody. Yes? Sergeant Gordon, CID. My credentials. Yes? Has anyone rang your bell in the past few days and asked for someone who doesn't live here? No. Thank you. Sorry to disturb you, ma'am. I'm Sergeant Gordon, CID. Uh, my credentials. Oh, oh, please. Yes. Did you... That is, has anyone rung your bell in the past few days and asked for someone who doesn't live here? Oh, that'd be a foolish thing. Why, yes, there was. Just yesterday afternoon. He asked for a chauffeur or something. Said the fellow worked at the Beacon Garage. And you remembered this? I certainly did. Why, ma'am? Well, because there's no such place hereabouts as the Beacon Garage. And I ought to know. I've lived here 20 years. I see. <laughs> Rather a foolish error. Now that you mention it, I'm not sure that it was an error. He seemed rather a nasty little man. Oh, is that so? Why? Oh, too dapper, too quick. Much too little for a man. He's shorter than I am, and I'm only five feet two. Uh, could you describe him in more detail, perhaps? Well, he had... Dark hair grew very low on his head, and his eyes were sort of shifty. Blue, but shifty. Uh -huh. A kind of thing you see in the cinema. You know, in those pictures about bookmaking and that. Uh, anything else, ma'am? Well, not that I remember. Not offhand, at any rate. Now, two people still living have seen this little man, the dead man's son, and the woman at whose door he sounded the drum. A description is in hand, two descriptions, which tally in every point. And then Sergeant Gordon came into Inspector Howard's office with another fact, a very solid fact. Now what's this, Sergeant? The weapon, sir. Found it behind the hedge of number 21, three houses up from the flats where a flyer was killed. How'd you get onto it? Ah, uh, we found a young fellow who'd been walking his girl past the flats on her way from the bus. Uh, this little man ran out of the flats, almost knocked the girl over, but he kept going. Our young fellow turned around to protest, saw him throw something over the hedge. We looked. There it is. Ah, nasty little gun. Well, shell jammed in the chamber. Ah, oh, no wonder he fired only one shot. But he pulled the trigger twice. 
Well, we can drop our search in the surfaces, Sergeant. I doubt if this fellow is the sharpshooter we thought he was. I think now we'll concentrate on classification by size. Shall we get to it, Sergeant? We seem to have our work cut out for us again. Truly, the picture takes shape. Dim at first, as if seen through frosted glass. Like the glass shards to be seen today in the Black Museum. Again, it's compounded of hard work, good police training, and a little luck. They start with nothing, this time with a wrong theory that their man is a sharpshooter. They have to abandon this. They start fresh with the dullest and therefore the hardest kind of police routine, checking the files. He's a little man. Everyone's agreed on that. Ask criminal records to send us the dossiers on every man we have on file under five feet two inches in height. Carefully, the inspector in charge and his sergeant comb through these dossiers. And finally, by reason of cross-checking, this one in jail at the moment of the crime, that one in some other part of the country, others with perfect alibis, the list of little fellows is reduced to four. You take these two, sergeant. I'll work over the others. Anything that rings a bell, the smallest detail. Yes, sir. For over an hour, the two men are silent, reading, thinking trying to relate something in the files to the facts that they already have. And then they exchange dossiers and start again. By this time, the lamps are lighted. The Thames flows like black glass outside the window of the inspector's office. All at once. I may have something, sir. Which file? Larry Mason. His nearest relatives, an uncle and an aunt, are recorded here as living in Beacon Road. Does that mean anything to you, Sergeant? It doesn't to me. I'll see it in my report in passing, Inspector. Uh When I talked with a woman who had seen the fellow sounding the drum, he told her the chauffeur he was looking for walked at the Beacon Garage. And she made quite a fuss over the fact that there is no such garage in the neighborhood. She was quite emphatic about it. Uh Ah, interesting. Let me see the description. I see. Five feet, one and a half inch, the smallest of the lot. Beacon garage, eh, and relatives on Beacon Road. Not important, perhaps. And yet, all important, as the inspector thought it through. We'll say a man needs a false name at a sudden moment. He says the first thing that comes into his mind. It seems rather natural that the place his nearest relatives live should be lurking somewhere just below his consciousness. Well, it's mighty slim, but it's worth a try. And having decided it was worth a try, Inspector Howard and Sergeant Gordon set out to trace their prime, if tiny, suspect. Mason? Yes, he lived here. Oh, lived? You mean he's left? He didn't leave. What then, ma'am? Did he die? He could have, for all I care. I threw him out. Didn't pay his rent for three weeks. I can't afford deadheads, I can't. Have you any idea where he's gone? No. What's more, I don't care. Next point of inquiry was the Beacon Road address, Larry Mason's uncle. About your nephew, Mr. Mason. What about him? Have you any idea of his whereabouts? Who wants to know? My name is Howard, Inspector Scotland Yard. Ah. In trouble is he again? We are not certain yet. He may be. We'd like to talk to him. Well, if you find him, I'd like to talk to him too. Long enough to tell him not to come round for me for help. Sergeant Gordon visited the pubs and hangouts where Larry Mason had been known to spend his time. In one of them, 
he found a friend of Mason's. Mary? I ain't seen him in a long time. Not since he was sent away for breaking and entering. He hasn't been round at all. And I can't say I'm sorry. No. Why not, friend? He worked for me when I had my license and was making a book legitimate. He was my clerk, see? Then one day he walks off, just like that, with ten quid. <laughs> I don't expect to see him again. He knows that little job cost me my license. And he knows what'll happen to him if he shows his face in here again. <laughs> Not much to go on, or to find a man, except the brush strokes that fill the picture of the little fellow's character. Unreliable, a thief, untrustworthy, even where his friends are concerned. Now, think back a minute. Remember the Daily Gazette, the yard publishes with descriptions of stolen goods, missing persons, and so on. Teletype from the Lancashire Police, Inspector, huh? They've got the bracelet in the fly case. A pawnbroker turned it up. Good. It was offered to him by a tall, heavy-set fellow with a peculiar circular scar on his right cheek. That sounds like Dick Lowry. Let's have Mr. Lowry in here, shall we? Mr. Lowry was quite glad to oblige. He wasn't in hiding or anything like that, not Dick Lowry. Where'd you get it, Lowry? The inspector wants to know. Where'd I get what? The bracelet you pawned in Bolton. I found it. You found it. That's what I said. Anything wrong in that? If you found it, no. We think you bought it. Well, now, what would I buy a bracelet with sparklers in it for? <laughs> My girls don't go for that sort of thing. You sold it, didn't you? Of course. Why not? But I can do with a spot of cash. Larry. Uh, yes, Inspector? You may want to know that bracelet is involved in a killing. A, a killing? Is it? Why, that dirty little... Oh? Go on, Larry. Start talking, Larry. Accessory after the fact in a murder can be very nasty, you know. All right. I, I bought it. I paid a good price, too. From whom? Larry, from whom? Larry Mason. Well, at last. Where'd you see him, Larry? Oh, the usual place. Dog track. With him, it's horses or dogs when the eggs aren't running. <laughs> Finally, the patience was bringing results, as it almost always does. Canvas a whole neighborhood, comb through hundreds of files, slowly, slowly, narrow the possibilities, and finally, a direct relation is established between the crime and some person who may have committed it. After that, find the person. In this case, it was the dog tracks. South End. He's not here, Sergeant. White City Raceway. Not a sign, Inspector. Wembley. They know him here, but he hasn't been around in weeks. And back to South End. No luck again, sir. No luck is right. Tell me, Sergeant, do you suppose a pint of ale will help our patients any? Aye. This one seems rather decent, Inspector. Yes, let's get on with it. Oh, excuse me. Oh, I'm, I'm sorry, sir. I didn't mean to come against you. That's all right. No harm done. Hold it, young fellow. I think I know you. Do you? Where from? You're Larry Miss. <laughs> Not me. My name's Leonard Martinson. Sorry, you'll have to prove your identity. We're from Scotland Yard. 
A twist of luck, a turn of chance. Two weary policemen in search of a relaxing moment run across the killer they've been hunting for weeks. At the yard, Larry Mason was not having a particularly relaxing time of it. Do you insist on denying you're Larry Mason? I do. Look, Mason, you've been away for a while. Now you know about these things. Your fingerprints are the prints on Mason's record. Dick Lowry swears he bought the bracelet from you. Your landlady and your former bookmaking associate have identified you. Now let's have no more nonsense. I ain't giving you a thing. Just because I'm small don't mean you can push me around. Ah, you'd better tell us the whole story, Mason, and stop this nonsensical denial. You'll go to trial anyway, you know. And the more you lie now, the harder it'll be on you later. Now speak up, Mason. You know, they get stubborn streaks sometimes. They read somewhere somehow that the best defense is to admit nothing, not even their own identities. So they firmly shut their mouths and refuse to talk about anything except the weather. The sergeant knew they had a case, a good case. Inspector Howard came in to help. I look at it this way, Mason. You can't do yourself any harm. We've got the evidence. We've got the gun. We're in the process of tracing it to you right now. The woman you spoke to will identify you in court. You had the bracelet. You've no alibi worth mentioning. You'll hang on what we've got, Mason, unless you've something which makes it manslaughter in place of murder. What? It was an accident. I never used a gun before. Never even had one. The first time is always one too many when it comes to guns. Now keep talking. How was it an accident? I, I broke the glass, see? After nobody answered the bell. I stuck my hand in. It, it was a cinch to open the door. I worked fast, but this fellow come home early or something. I tried to make the back door. No luck. It, it was locked with a key. So you had to come to the front. He was a lot bigger than me. I pulled the gun because I wanted to scare him, that's all. He jumped me, hit me with something. I blacked out. That's it. I blacked out. Didn't even hear the gun go off. And when you came to, Mason? He was dead on the floor. I got out of there as fast as I could get. It was an accident. I swear it was an accident. What's your opinion, Sergeant? It's a good story, but it won't wash. Why not? That's what happened. Why not? It's very simple, Mason. You blacked out as you pulled the trigger. Therefore, you fired only once. Yes, sir. Only once? Sorry, Mason. You pulled that trigger twice. There was a shell jammed in the firing chamber. You pulled the trigger at least twice. That's no accident, Mason. That's murder. Yes, the case was complete. Each part in its correct place. And those glass shards I told you about, those two are in their correct place. In the Black Museum. The jury quite agreed with Inspector Howard. That was no accident. And so in due course, little Larry Mason, the bookies clerk who made the fatal error of carrying a pistol, went the way of most murderers at eight o'clock one summer morning. Larry Mason's luck had run out, or had it. It was reported, you see, that as he walked to the scaffold with its 13 steps and waiting rope, Mason murmured to his guards, they had to do this now on June 6th, Derby Day. 
and me with a few shillings riding on Armstrong in the big race. Curiously, although Mason wasn't available to collect on his bet, Armstrong was the winning horse, 53 to 1. And now until we meet next time, we meet in the same place, and I tell you another story about the Black Museum. I remain, as always, obediently yours. Wells, I hope you enjoyed both episodes. The great thing about most of the Black Museum episodes is that the most I have to face in remastering them is one, hisses, fuzziness, minor pop removals, two, minor pops and clicks, and three, go nowhere adverts, which I seem to only find in the Black Museum episodes. I strip some adverts out that are basically focused on segues from other ads, or cut out exits or introductions to intermissions that aren't present in the audio at all. So, it'd be really jarring for you guys and gals listening at home. Other than that, these OTRs are great. I'm considering throwing in some more suspense OTRs as well soon, and I'm planning a little surprise slash experiment for one of those in particular, so I hope you'll like it. Mates, I hope you have a fantastic week. If you get a chance, share this podcast with someone you think will enjoy it, And a big thank you to all of those that have already left iTunes reviews. I just received another one, and I can't wait to share it on Wednesday. Alright, you lovelies. As always, till next we meet.